Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kuritsen. As always, my co-host, Steve Smith, is joining me. Good afternoon, guys. We have Ben Pakulski here. If you don't know who he is, read about him. I wrote an article about him a few months ago over on Evolutionary. He's a really uh, smart guy. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that, man. I didn't see the article, but if you fire it over, I'll check it out, man. Love to check it out. You may not like it. <laughs> uh, oh, dude. It's, it's all right. Because it's, it's, it's always a neutral thing. So, But, but it's, uh, uh, it tells about your life and stuff. So, Trevor... Um, what do we got here? Well, Ben, the reason I wanted to reach out to you and get you on this show is that often in life, we're our own greatest teachers. And this podcast is similar to your podcast. It's all about living your greatest life. We've had on doctors, we've had on massage therapists, chiropractors, dating experts, sleep experts, you name it. And you've really gone through a major mindset shift the last couple of years. You've really focused on what am I doing? Stop and think. You know, you really try to master the mind. And I feel like one mistake a lot of us make, myself in particular, is that we get so caught up in working, we don't actually stop and think, hey, is this the most efficient way to work towards my goal? So the reason I want to get you on is for you to talk about some of the things you've learned and some of the things that you wish you could tell that 18-year-old self. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of levels to that, right? You know, depending what direction you want me to go, if it's respect to training, if it's respect to business, if it's respect to just life in general, I mean... Um, you know, each of those has its own path and uh, you know, each of them I've had many opportunities in my life to learn. I think one of the greatest things that I've learned in my life is the reason I am, um, you know, able to progress continuously is because I, I fail, you know, I struggle a lot. And there's a lot of things in my life that have been challenges for me that have been obstacles and, you know, creating the framework around your challenges and your obstacles that um, those challenges are your greatest opportunities for growth. So rather than taking them as a negative thing and being upset that there's a an obstacle or something in your life not going the way you want it to. It's, it's just an awareness that's created that says, hey, it's time to become better at something. I'm not good enough at this. I need to use this as a, my greatest opportunity to dive into this particular thing and, and develop myself. So, you know, 20 years, I tried to be the biggest human being on the planet and be a great professional bodybuilder. I, you know, climbed the ranks relatively high in, in professional bodybuilding. At, you know, one point I was ranked top 10 or whatever in the world and um, you know, had some pretty great placings. Um, and, you know, what I always tell people is um, there's this uh, external ascension of the proverbial mountain, right? As, you know, as a human being, particularly as a man, we have some unconscious desire to uh, accumulate, right? So some people want to accumulate money. Some people want to accumulate uh, muscle. Some people want to accumulate, I don't know, like women. Um, and uh, when, you, when you do those things, uh, you know, what are material things? And when you accumulate those things, you realize that the uh, accomplishment is fleeting, right? You, you get a very, very short-term gratification and you go, oh shit, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. So, you know, I spent so much time and uh, so many years committed to, um, you know, building my greatest body and this ascending this proverbial mountain that I thought I'd get to the top of the mountain and I would be happy or I would be fulfilled or I'd be, you know, self-confident and you get there and you realize there's nothing there. So. Um, it's shallow, it's empty, and, and I wasn't happy. And at, at many times, I was probably even more insecure and more lonely than I'd ever been in my life. 
So it allowed me to, you know, thank goodness I was able to climb this mountain, get there and not spend a tremendous amount of time. Obviously I spent a lot of time, but a lot of guys are still doing it. You know, a lot of guys are spending a lot more time than I, I, I did. And luckily for me, I got there or got to where I wanted to go and I had the awareness of, oh, this isn't what I wanted to be. And, and now I've just kind of taken this shift toward, um, realizing the journey is within man realizing happiness lives inside of you you can create it every minute of your life if you so choose so the the journey for me now is um you know a daily meditation practice a daily mindfulness practice and um you know i always i always believe that there's kind of two ways to create your life and you know one of them is um you know identify someone who's uh potentially living a a particular part of of life that you want to emulate and uh, model them uh, and, you know, kind of create the plan and pursue it with discipline, or you can do it internally and you can sit down every morning and meditate and create that person in your mind. You know, how am I going to treat people? How am I going to act? How am I going to speak? How am I going to spend my days? So you can create them, you can create yourself internally or externally. And both I think can be effective. Um, For me now it's, it's a truthfully a combination of both. Um, but it's literally like, you know, crafting my perfect life inside my mind. And then uh, every time I step out of that meditation, I'm a new person. And that's really uh, kind of what's happened now. I mean, it's just like identify who I want to become, what I want to do. And, uh, you know, taking the steps in the right direction to make it happen. So let me, let me ask you this, Ben, because um, this is really interesting what you're saying. We've had a lot of pros on, guys competing for Mr. Olympia even top 10 top three guys and they always have that mentality of they're focused in they're zeroed in on that one thing and in life you know it's you don't have to be a pro bodybuilder to do that we all do this like you said a lot of us want to make money we want to be successful in business a lot of us want to be successful in sports a lot of us want to be successful in other things and you know there's a lot of ups and downs in life one thing i saw just this morning is if you have a wardrobe you're already in the top 15, 20% richest people in the world. And I think sometimes that we forget that. And everyone listening to this right now, or everyone watching this, you're probably in the top 10 or 20% richest people in the world. Because a lot of people in the world don't have access to a computer. You know, they can't afford a computer. They make a dollar a day, maybe, is their salary. So give us an example. Those out there, and um, I'm not going to stay here and bitch, because my life is pretty damn good. But there's always shit that happens, like that upsets me. It could be something as little as my team losing, even. <laughs> that seems to upset me. But on a serious note, like, give us an example for those who are listening to this that are really stuck in the rut right now. Maybe they just went through a divorce. Maybe their business just failed. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they have an injury and they can't work out. Give us an example of how to get that domino effect going the other way. What is something? Sure, man. It's just looking at it from a perspective of um, being grateful. It all starts with gratitude, man. It's being grateful for for what's happened and realizing that everything in life is a learning opportunity. And, you know, sometimes we succeed and we don't always learn and we succeed. So sometimes failure is our greatest learning, our learning opportunity, right? So something that fails, a relationship, a business, look back and objectively analyze and say, well, what did I do uh, that, made it fail and what can I do better? And, and what aspect of this is, um, you know, my greatest opportunity to progress um, and just dive into it, man. Like I've been a, a lifelong student and anything, that's what made me a great bodybuilder was, you know, I, I sucked at a lot of stuff, man. So when I, when I was like, God, I really suck at this, I, I made it my uh, passion to get better at it. So, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're struggling with right now, like smile, you know, and, and this came for me in training, right? And one of my 
greatest um, you know, training skills was when I was really, really, really uncomfortable where most people would quit, I smile knowing that I'm becoming a better person. And that's transferred into my life now. It's like, no matter how uncomfortable I am, I'm going to find a reason to smile because I realize that the greater my struggle, the greater my development of my character. Um, so anybody out there, it's just all about your framing, man. It's all about, you know, someone, someone in your life at some point has taught you how to respond to situations. It's a parent, it's a, it's a mentor, it's whoever. And you're modeling somebody, right? You're modeling somebody who is your greatest influence as a kid. And you don't have to be that way, right? You don't have to react negatively to people. You don't have to flip people off because they cut you off. You don't have to get angry because your team loses. Uh, realize, like, how does it impact my life? Is it making my life better whether they win or lose? No, it's great to be entertained. Ultimately, who gives a fuck if they win or lose? Like, it doesn't change your life at all, right? You're just like, what, what's going to make me happy? Well, what's going to make me happy is, is making me happy. Be happy today. I make the choice to be happy. And uh, for me, happiness is constant progress toward my end objective, whatever that may be, right? Um, so that's just the way I frame it, man, is, is um, you know, every day needs to be framed in gratitude. And I started this as far back as 2006, maybe. I started listening to Tony Robbins, and uh, I was just a young, aspiring bodybuilder. wasn't even pro yet. And uh, every morning, you know, every bodybuilder in the world goes, oh, I have to do cardio. Oh, geez, I don't want to do it. And I listened to a Tony Robbins tape that was given to me by a guy at the time who's a very good friend of mine actually up in Toronto. And uh, he's like, hey, man, check this out. And, you know, the first three minutes of it every day was three minutes of gratitude. So right when I went in and started my cardio, you know, rather than getting on the, the step mill or the treadmill, whatever the hell I was doing, it's, you know, it's getting on and going, oh, I, get, I have to do it. It turned into I get to do it. And, uh, you know, I turned into that first three minutes, three minutes of gratitude. It just starts your brain off into this flooding your body with gratitude, this emotion of gratitude and appreciation and wonderment for the world. And it's awesome, man. And, you know, everyone out there, if you want to change your life, you change two things. You change your, your perspective of things and, and become grateful. And you change the words you use, both with yourself and with other people. And you'll change your life, like, without a doubt. Before I let Trevor jump in, let me just tell you guys one thing real quick. I used to be a competitive runner. I was a competitive weight powerlifter as well. But when I was a runner, I can remember uh, running a 5K. It was hot. It was like 95 degrees. So I finished. And then after me, guess who comes running by? A guy with missing a limb. He was missing his limb and he was running on a prosthetic limb. So right there, as much as I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. I'm struggling. I was like, wow, how grateful am I to have two legs? So it's exactly sure. what you're saying. No matter what. You know, just always be grateful. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I just climbed a mountain um, well, it's about two months ago now, and uh, I knew it was going to be about a seven-hour climb, uh, and I wasn't in shape for the mountain climb, right? We were supposed to be doing a little bit of training. My life was really busy. I've got, a, you know, three kids and a number of businesses. I didn't do adequate training, and I knew I was well under-trained, and uh, so I went out, and, and I was dreading it, man. I was like, holy fuck, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to get stuck in the middle of a mountain somewhere. Like, this is going to suck. So the first hour of the mountain, my mind was just like, not even first, maybe first 45 minutes to an hour. I was like, my brain was just dreading what was to come. And I got about, you know, 45 to 60 minutes into the climb. And I looked around and I was like, God, I'm outside. I'm with some of my best friends in the world. I get to climb this mountain. What the fuck am I complaining about? So I literally put a smile on my face. And the rest of the six hours, I swear, it felt like I was floating. Like I had no discomfort. The first hour, I was in pain. My legs were sort of burning. I was breathing heavy. The next six hours, I felt like I was floating. And just because I changed my perspective, I actually literally changed the chemistry of my mind, the chemistry of my brain. And life gets so much better when you can just 
we create a habit of, of being positive all the time. It sounds gay and cliche, but like, that's just the truth, man. If you're, if you're someone who has a positive framing of things, all of a sudden good things start to happen to you and you start to enjoy even the shittiest situation because you realize it's just an opportunity to get better. Ben, uh, what ethnicity are you? Are you German by chance? I am uh, partially German. I'm, uh, my dad is Polish. My mom is a uh, blend of French, German, Ukrainian. There's a saying in German, happier than a pig in shit. Yeah, I've heard it many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, one question I have for you, Ben. We had a lot of listeners that want to know, are you religious? You talk about all this mindset mastery and things like that. Is that self-taught? I know you mentioned Tony Robbins, but was, is there maybe like a religious principle that helped you come to all these conclusions? I'll tell you transparently, man. Uh, when it comes to religion, I don't know what I believe, man. And that's kind of one of these these parts of my life where um, I grew up very Catholic. You know, I was an altar boy and I was t- I went to Catholic school. And um, around the age of nine, nine or 10, I remember believing that or, or starting to think that um, I didn't like the the practices of the Catholic Church. You know, I didn't know about the beliefs. The beliefs were like something that I didn't necessarily not agree with, but the practices that just didn't seem to make sense to me. So I started to question it. And, um, you know, for the last 20 years or so, prior to maybe a couple of years back, I just kind of didn't think about it. And, and, you know, having left bodybuilding, I've become much more, I would call myself spiritual now. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm, I'm uh, particularly religious, but, uh, you know, I, do I believe in a higher power? Yeah, for sure, man. I, there's definitely something that I, I believe is influencing us. And, you know, some people call it energy. Some people call it Buddha. Some people call it God. Like, who knows, man? Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, all I know is that uh, I like to follow the practices of being a good human being, um, being, being, uh, treating other people the way I want to be treated, treating other people with love and compassion and kindness. And that's how I frame my, uh, my life, man. It's like, is it a particular religion? Like, do I think God's going to strike me down because I'm, a, because I'm doing something bad? No, I don't. And that's really what I didn't like about uh, Catholicism, right? If it, people are curious, because I know people are going to hate me for that. But just the idea, like, it, so if, you know, someone isn't a Catholic, they're not going to go to hell. They're going to, or they're not going to go to heaven. They're going to go to hell. Like that doesn't make sense. What if they're just a great human being? What if they're Muslim and they're amazing, wonderful person? That doesn't make sense to me. Right. So I just, I would call myself spiritual. Um, you know, I pray uh, or, you know, meditate or, or whatever it is daily. Um, and I'm grateful. Uh, and to me, that's all uh, religion and spirituality is. I agree with that a lot, man, because being religious or not being religious has a lot to do with your upbringings, right? Like for you, you were raised Catholic. My dad's a pastor, so I've been going to church since I was born. A lot of people probably have never even heard of God. Sure. If you're in the middle of India where Muslim is the, is the main religion, you probably yeah. never even heard of Jesus Christ before. So I agree with you. I think, I think that there's a lot more to it than just whether you believe in Catholics. Sure there is. And man, we all know Catholics that are assholes, right? That doesn't, just because you're Catholic and go to church every Sunday doesn't mean you're going to heaven, man. Like, like that's the thing. And, you know, I, the more I dig into this whole spiritual, I'm very fascinated with spirituality, man. Like, if anything, that may be my greatest passion. There's, there's a number of things that have become high-level passions for me, and spirituality is one of them. Um, and, and understanding the beliefs around religion is very, very interesting to me. So I've been listening to or reading a lot of Alan Watts. I've been listening to and reading a lot of uh, Joseph Campbell. A lot of them talking about myth and, and uh, you know, uh, mythical mythical um, stories like the Bible and the Quran and where do they come from? And, you know, people think that, it, like, you know, we don't even have it figured out today, right? Do you think these people had life figured out 2,000 years ago? Like, there's no way. Um, so realistically, uh, just like, 
um, for me, spirituality is uh, just be a, be a great human being, treat others well, and uh, good things come around to you. You know, if anything, I believe in karma. Before 1.3 billion people in India listen to this show and like bomb our studio, I just want to tell, I'm just kidding. I just want to do a fact check on that. Most of India, Trevor, is actually Hindu. Hindu, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. British Empire split Pakistan and India. And the Muslims mostly went to Pakistan and the Hindus mostly went to India. That's why yeah. we had a civil war, by the way. You should watch the movie uh, Gandhi, which actually ties into this. Have you seen that? Ben? I haven't seen it, man. No. Oh, you would love that because that's, okay. what, that's what the movie's all about. It's about spirituality and basically like he fasted and he prayed and all this stuff to, to mm-hmm. make peace in this country. And everyone stopped killing each other when right. he did this. I'll tell you, I'm, the only I'm, way, yeah. I'm fascinated with Buddhism. Uh, that's for sure. Like if, if I were to say I practice anything is Buddhism. I don't know enough about it to say that I, I'm, you know, I'm a Buddhist, but uh, it's just to me, it sounds like, hey, man, be a good human being. And that's, you know, that seems like the, the overarching principle. I mean, the fundamental principle of any religion is be a good person, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Right. It's us as human beings who worry about these nitpicking details and go, oh, that Jew doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He's an asshole. That's what we as humans do. Right. That's not the religion. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. It's us putting our definition on it and like, oh, you're different than me. Therefore, you're a bad person. And that, that to me doesn't make sense, man. Like, you know, I, I grew up in a family um, I wasn't very close to my family, but my family was um, very polarizing. We'll say that they they weren't particularly uh, welcoming to other people. Um, so I grew around that a lot, and, and I had this early level of awareness of being like, "Why are they not treating other people nicely? Like I don't get it. I always wanted to be kind to other people. I always wanted to love other people, and and my family just didn't think that way. And uh, thank goodness, I was very blessed from a very young age to realize that I didn't want to be like that, man. I, I want to treat other people kind, kindly, and um, you know, like. Uh, why the hell would I want to be mean to somebody? It doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't understand, you know, and people want to exert their dominance. And to me, it's like, I'm no better than you, man. You're no better than me. I'll treat you with respect. If you treat me with respect, if you disrespect me, I'll disrespect you. Like, or, or I'll walk away, you know, uh, more than anything. But uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, man. Like it's just human uh, ignorance and stupidity or right? arrogance for most part. Just uh, stay off of Twitter because there's a lot of that. Everyone on Twitter just insults each other. On if you get into like a political discussion, a sports, everyone's a GM. They want to be general manager of a sports team. You know, they sure. think the GM's an idiot, the coach is an idiot, the players as if the player on purpose missed the kick. Sure. As if the player on purpose let the goal in. I mean, God, oh, sacrifice him. You know. Listen, I, I made my living on stage in my underwear for a long time, man. Like, talk about people that get ridiculed and, and picked on. Like, I was trolled more than anybody, right? And, uh, you know, at some point, you become compassionate for those people. Like, if somebody's, you know, taking their time of their day to try to berate me, what does it say about them? You know, I had one guy up in Canada who, like, went out of his way to troll everything I was doing all over the internet. And, and literally, I met the guy, and I was like, come here, man, I'm going to give you a hug. Like, he thought I was going to punch him out. I was like, no, man, like dude, like, I feel sorry for you, man. Like, you know, do you have a problem with your mother? And I was being honest. I was like, dude, if I can help you in any way, please like, let me know. And you know, it sounded like I was being condescending, but I absolutely wasn't. I was like, gosh, I couldn't imagine what's going through somebody's brain and and how, you know, self uh, ridiculing they must be to be able to live that existence. It's terrible. They actually have a show on MTV, a new show um, where they actually track down the troll someone who's like doing that and they'll track them down. And the person always in person is always like a sheep. They're always like, Oh my God. Like they freak out as soon as they find them and stuff. It's, it's hilarious. But what, like, do you think that 
those people that do that, they sending out all that negative energy. Do you think that they can ever even be successful themselves? If you're sending out all that negative energy and do nothing but insult people and troll them. I, I don't know, man. Who am I to say if they can be successful or not? And, and what is the definition of success, right? Um, you know, at some point they'll realize like, you know, the, the irony of it is oftentimes my greatest uh, adversaries become my greatest advocates, right? Because, um, you know, what I teach is, is things I actually believe in. And if they come in like, oh, you're full of shit, you know what you're talking about? I'm always like, hey, man, I'll tell you what. I completely understand that. And if it doesn't resonate with you, that's fine. And if I can never help you in any way, please ask. And then I'll take, take a minute to explain to them what I do, or they'll start to understand a little bit of what I do. And then literally they become my greatest advocates, right? And, and people who are passionate in the wrong direction can very easily be swayed to be passionate in the right direction. And, uh, you know, being patient with these people has always been uh, a great default for me. So Ben, let's touch on training a little bit. We live in a society now where we're so rich in information, but we're void of knowledge. And as much as, you know, social media, things like that are a blessing, it's also a curse because you're bombarded with information. You don't even really know what to follow, what's credible, what's not credible. If you could look back now, knowing everything you know about training, what are some changes you would make? How many days per week would you train? Like obviously it's individual, but do you think like, because you hear two different schools of thought, right? You hear three to four days per week, more than that, you're overtraining, or you hear you know, six, seven days a week, you got to get the blood and the muscle. What, what are your thoughts on all of this? Sure, man. Well, I'll tell you what, the first thing that uh, I say to everybody, everybody that comes into my world is I say, forget everything you think you know about training and think. Um, because, you know, the, the curse of the amount of information we have now is it prevents people from thinking, right? They, they, they'll watch, they'll take what they see and, and believe that to be gospel. And nobody thinks, man. And I think the reason that people in the 70s and 80s had a great physique is because there was no information. They had to think. They had to watch. They had to go in the gym and go, hey, what does this do? When I pick up this thing and I move it in this direction, what does it actually train? And they actually thought their way through it. And they're like, oh, well, that exercise doesn't seem to be doing what, it, what it's supposed to do. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. And they literally had a thought process. So now, uh, you know, I just teach, try to teach a thought process, man. I'm like, you know, I try to get people to come to their own conclusions. Um, and, you know, specific to your exact questions there, like how frequency and, and dude, it's completely independent of, of who it is, like who's doing it, right? Someone who's very new, let's talk like somebody who's never been to the gym before, is very new to the gym. Well, if, if they pick up a weight, no matter what the weight is, and they actually use their muscle to move the weight, well, how much actual muscle is contracting when they do that? And you can assume it's probably a pretty small amount for most people, right? Provided they're not some genetic anomaly or have an incredible uh, athletic background, uh, it's probably a pretty small amount of muscle. So deductive reasoning would say, well, if I'm, no matter how hard I work, my perceived effort, the amount of actual muscular damage and trauma is probably pretty minimal compared to someone who's been training for 15 years they would probably be able to create a lot more muscle damage, a lot more muscle trauma. Um, So someone who's new is going to create less muscle damage, thereby probably doesn't require as much time between bouts of exercise to recover. So they may be able to train one the same body part three, four, even five times a week and not actually be overtrained. Obviously, as they progress, they would have to decrease that. Whereas someone like myself, who's been training for 20 plus years, when I contract a muscle, you know, say I do six repetitions compared to a beginner doing six repetitions, I'm going to contract a substantially greater amount of muscle. I'm going to have a greater ability to connect with that muscle, thereby create a lot more muscle damage. So for me to do some body part every day could end up being in a situation of, you know, quote unquote, overtraining, although that's a subjective term in and of itself. Um, but one thing that listeners need to realize is that volume and frequency should be inversely proportional. So if I'm doing a high amount of frequency, my volume should go down. Um, and the important thing to realize about this is 
uh, it can be different body part to body part, right? Some of us have a really strong body part that we feel really, really well. Well, maybe your ability to contract that is really good. Therefore, you may need three or four days between those, those uh, bouts of that muscle. Whereas if you have something you don't really feel really well, you could literally do it every day, a small amount of volume, high amount of frequency, and, and, and train that pattern, like train your nervous system, train your brain to actually execute that exercise with more efficiency and more effectiveness, thereby transferring into uh, potentially greater results for you over time. And obviously, as you get better at it, you improve the ability to contract that muscle with greater effectiveness. Well, now I can start spacing out the amount of frequency. You think a mistake, what are some of these mistakes that guys are making who aren't progressing? Um, I know obviously genetics is a big thing. I mean, if you've got shitty genetics, you're never going to really be satisfied with the way you look. No, I disagree with that completely, man. I disagree with that completely. I think every human being can build a great physique for them. You may not be Mr. Olympia. You may not be in the cover magazine, uh, but you can build an amazing physique for you uh, if you learn a basic basic skill set. So I'll tell you what everybody does wrong. And, uh, this is again a result of too much information and not enough thinking is everyone uh, is is totally focused on sets and reps and load and volume and that stuff is important but what is the foundation of all that right in order to in order to quantify the stimulus like in order to put an actual value on how much am i doing doesn't it make sense in your mind that every rep should look identical we have to we have to standardize and we have to qualify the stimulus before we can quantify the stimulus and people miss that now that may be beyond what people understand but basically what i'm saying is exercise execution is the foundation of everything you do, man. Like if you're not actually using the muscle correctly. So here's a, here's a basic way to look at it, right? We've evolved for, you know, effectively a hundred thousand years to survive. Your body wants to be very, very calorically efficient, not burn a lot of calories. Um, so your body is really, really good at dispersing load and doing as little work as possible when you pick up a weight. If I go pick up a box, your body's trying to do as little work as possible because it doesn't know how many times you can have to pick up that box or that log or whatever the hell that is or that, that, do that run. So your body's trying to contract as little muscle as possible. So if you're trying to build a great body, it's the antithesis of what you've evolved to do. So you're trying to become as inefficient as possible. You're trying to isolate muscles and get them to contract uh, with, as, with as much ultimately inefficiency as possible. I want to eliminate all those other muscles around. I want just this muscle I'm trying to train to contract. Um, so logically, uh, the foundation of, of progress has to be, well, step one is how do I make this muscle I'm trying to train do the greatest amount of work possible? That's the foundation of it, right? And if you can do that, most people don't do that. Most people are so focused on completion. Most people are focused on, you know, what I call the external stuff, the mechanics. They're, they're focused on, I can do three sets of six. Well, you doing three sets of six and me doing three sets of six is completely different. So how can anybody out there who claims to be a quote-unquote expert rationalize this being the same thing? Hey, man, do three sets of six. That's the best for hypertrophy. Bullshit. Or three sets of ten. Bullshit. It's completely different, right? Based on your uh, your structure, we all have very different structure, our ability to contract muscle, our ability to focus. What happens when we get tired? Do we keep the form the same or do, do we do less work? Most people do less work, right? When something gets hard, they do their best to get out of that. So it's very important for you to realize that if you actually want to be able to make continuous, never-ending progress, the foundation of it all is exercise execution. Uh, it has to be, right? I have to make sure the muscle I'm training is, is getting challenged maximally. There's no point in increasing load. There's no point in increasing sets or reps or anything like that if the ones I'm doing now are not efficient or not maximized, right? We don't want to do more work. We want to do smart work first. You know, the only time more work makes any sense if it's, if it's preceded by smart work, intelligent work. 
So Ben, when it comes to things like exercise execution, when it even comes to things like how your body looks, those are qualitative measurements. And the problem is as a society, we like quantitative measurements, right? Sure. We want to say, I did 200 pounds for 10 reps. I was on the treadmill. It burnt 300 calories. It's totally right. bullshit. But like yep. we as a society, we love that. We love seeing those numbers. What are some indicators of progress or lack thereof you can use when it comes to qualitative measurements like movement pattern, muscle contraction? And great question. And, and the reality is it's extremely subjective, right? Like, do you feel it more, right? Like, do you feel it more or less? Because most people will pick up a weight and assume, you know, here's the best example. Um, uh, if I pick up a hundred pound dumbbell and I do 10 repetitions, not call it a bench press. I do, I do hundred, I do 10 repetitions on a flat dumbbell press and I go to 110 pound dumbbells. I mean, I do call it another 10 repetitions. Did I do more work? Let's say I'm trying to train my chest. Did my, my chest automatically do more work? And the answer is no, I do not know that, right? People would say, oh, I did more weight. Therefore, I'm, I'm actually training my chest more. Incorrect. Um, so what most people will do is if they're increasing the load in some way, they change the mechanics or they change the distance. So the one thing that people miss in exercise is distance, right? And again, it's not very easy for me to explain this on a podcast, but if I decrease the distance, so an example, here's the best example that people at home can understand. If I put a dumbbell in my hand, let's say I have a, 20 pound dumbbell in my hand and I hold it directly over my head to where my wrist, my elbow and my shoulder are stacked above each other. I can hold that 20 pound dumbbell there pretty much all day, right? I can hold it there for a long time because there's no uh, horizontal, there's no distance from the shoulder joint. Now, just the relative example to compare is if now if I take that weight progressively further and further away from my body. So it's no longer stacked where my, my wrist, my elbow, and my shoulder are stacked. Uh, if there's somebody watching, I'll just do it. So if, I'm, if I start here and I start to progress out, well, now that's going to be a lot harder where I'm six to eight inches away from being stacked. And if I go all the way out to the side where my arms extend to my side, okay, now that's a lot harder. Same 20-pound dumbbell, a lot more challenging to the muscles. What changed? Same 20-pound dumbbell, different distance. So just because you've increased load doesn't necessarily mean you've actually increased work because what most people will do is mechanically change the way they do it to actually do less work so that they can compensate with more load. And so if I just, you know, I'm doing a bench press and I bring it in closer to my body, I'm actually doing less work on the pec or the muscle I'm trying to train. So, um, you know, that, that's a big consideration, man, is like it, it can't be a uh, always a quantitative stimulus because it has to be a qualitative stimulus first. And, you know, just to kind of, you know, come back around to your question. Unfortunately, I mean, there is the, 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 the uh, qualitative stimulus of distance, but again, that's beyond the scope of what most people understand. Uh, so it is often just a subjective thing. Like, hey, do you feel that? And, you know, if you can't feel a muscle at 100% of the range of motion, you're wasting your time. We've all gone through sets where, you know, you're doing a bench press and you do 135 and you feel it really good in your chest. You go to 185, you feel it really good. You go to 225, oh, I don't really feel it anymore but hey, I'm doing 225, therefore I must be doing more work in my chest, right? No, you're not. Your body's figured out a way to use all the other muscles, right? So if we think about this evolutionarily, your body, let's say we're doing a bench press, you're like arbitrary number, but your body's got five muscles that can possibly do work. And your body's gonna disperse it amongst those muscles unless you do something to change that, right? You can, you can absolutely mechanically set yourself up to advantage the muscle you're trying to train. And it's not hard. It's actually extremely simple, but most people don't think like, hey, how do I make my chest do more work? Rather than lifting more weight, how do I actually get this thing to work harder? And is it working hard at every inch of this rep? And if it's not, you're wasting your time. So Ben, um, that's really good advice. Um, give us some advice because we got about we got under 10, 15 minutes left. 
diet. Like most of our listeners, you know, they, most of us in North America are fat. You know, I, I think I read something in the United States, 50% of people are at least 30% body fat. And I believe it. I mean, if you go to a sporting event, go to Walmart, you know, you look around every guy over 35, 40 has a gut. Like, but like a lot of people try to do diets. They try, they really, really try and they go get gym memberships and they can't lose weight. What are some tips you can give them that are, you know, some of these gurus and personal trainers out there that are sending them in the wrong direction, wasting their time. What is something that they can do to kind of get themselves on the right track that they may not know about? Yeah, man. Great question. And I think, um, the reality of that, there's a lot of layers to that, man. There's a lot of stuff going on there that are making people fat and has nothing to do with what they eat. Obviously, what they eat is, is a big component. And most people think it's a calories in, calories out thing. And I honestly disagree with that pretty wholeheartedly, man. There's, there's so many other things that play into uh, what's impacting the way. You, so, you know, you eat a banana and I eat a banana. And those are doing two completely different things in our body, right? Why? Well, because of all the physiological realities that exist in my body. So, you know, I eat this food. Uh, is it being digested optimally in my gut? What does the microbiome look like in my, in my gut? Um, do I have leaky gut and gut permeability? All these things are playing into what my body does. Am I inflamed? You know, am I insulin resistant? Am I, you know, have high amounts of estrogen, low amounts of testosterone? All these things are playing into what my body does with what I eat. So all these, you know, scientists or, or, or experts are focused on the, again, the external, they're focused on the, the quantitative, right? They're like, oh, you gotta make, make, meet your macros. And, and yeah, great. It, for, for some people, maybe that makes sense. But the, the best thing people can start to do, you know, I, I wrote a program recently called the first phase of fat loss. And it's like, hey, here's what to do in the first 30 days. And none of it has to do with changing your calories. Like I don't even talk about calories. I just talk about removing the toxic burden. And, um, you know, that's kind of step one. And what is a toxic burden? Well, all those things that are destroying your gut, all those things that are uh, negatively impacting your body and your mind. So toxic things can be something like people, like po people can be toxic, right? Like what state of mind am I in when I'm eating? Am I stressed? Is my state of uh, my autonomic nervous system, my sympathetic arousal really high? Like if that's the case, then my body won't digest the food that I eat, right? So that's why these guys all have massive amounts of undigested food in their belly or big amounts of belly fat because their cortisol is elevated, their body's not digesting food. Guess what? It's going to go sit and just sit there. So uh, that's just, you know, there's, there's so many levels, man. So if we get into looking at toxic burden, what are the things that are toxic? Uh, well, obviously, uh, Pesticides and herbicides are a big thing, right? Getting rid of glyphosate as much as possible, getting rid of pharmaceuticals, getting rid of anything that's going to cause any type of digestive distress. And unfortunately, the reality is in North America that our water supply is a big thing too, right? Too much chlorine in our water supply is destroying our microbiome. Um, getting rid of plastics, which is driving our estrogen up and destroying our, our microbiome. All these things are pretty simple. Like if, we, if I made a list, which I did, like, hey, get rid of all these things in your diet. You can eat whatever the hell you want as long as it doesn't include these things for now. And then step one, once you start eliminating that, gosh, people are losing tremendous amounts of weight in this first phase, in this first 30 days, just because we're removing the toxic burden and we're giving them coping strategies, right? So that's, again, a separate part of this, but um, getting rid of all the things that are burdening your body. And there's a lot of, lo a lot of uh, levels and layers to this, right? Uh, light can be a huge burden on your body. EMFs can be a huge burden on your body. Trying to get rid of all these toxic burdens. Um, Step one. And step two is, as I said, coping strategies, right? So why do people eat? Why do people overeat? Like we don't need to eat as much as we do. We have this paradigm around we need to eat three times a day because some marketer said, hey, you need to eat three times a day because they're trying to sell us breakfast foods. Uh, again, not the reality. The frequency of eating is, again, uh, 
very subjective thing. Uh, but coping mechanism, why do people overeat? Well, people feel stressed. They feel this low level of anxiety. Food makes that go away. So, okay, so they've created a coping mechanism around food. Well, if we create a coping mechanism around something else, maybe the coping mechanism could be go for a walk, go play with your kids, go, I don't know, go to the gym. Uh, create a positive coping mechanism rather than a neg negative coping mechanism, right? A lot of people use food, drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, cigarette smoke, uh, you know, tobacco as their coping mechanism for these, this feeling of anxiety that they have that they're not even aware that they have. It's just this low-level anxiety that lives in their throat or in their stomach. Like, God, I don't feel right right now. I want, to, I want to feel different. We're all just trying to change our state, man. We're all just trying to feel better in that exact instant. And this is the thing that's going to get rid of it for me quickly, right? Nobody wants to take the long path of actually sitting down and breathing or doing some meditation because that's going to take time, man. I'm not really good at that right now. I want an immediate fix because I got to go and do something else. You know, that's the reality why people are fat, man. There's a lot of layers that you'd have to unravel. There's a lot of layers of the onion that you have to kind of peel away to find out why people are fat. But, uh, and again, we're all, we're all living that, man. We're all living that reality based on the habits we've built as, as children and habits we've built up at this point in our life. It's just coping mechanisms to get through. We had an acupuncturist on our last episode, and she said the exact same thing. It's like people are eating under stress. They're not getting food, they're, or they're eating in front of the TV, or they're eating in front of their computer at work, et cetera. They're not sitting down and just enjoying their meal and, you know, like that. And that seems to be something that makes a lot of sense because that's what Americans do. And I'm sure Canadians do the same thing. Every night, what do we do? We grab a snack, we grab dinner, we sit in front of the TV and watch a sporting uh, sitcom, sports, whatever. And, you know, we just stuff our face nonstop all night. So that's, that, that makes perfect sense. But like you said, there's so many different things. I, I, I'm with you on yeah, that for I mean, sure. If, if the listeners want like an action item, it's a really simple way to frame this is, you know, your autonomic nervous system governs your reality and your autonomic nervous system has two branches. It has a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. Sympathetic, if you want to remember, is fight or flight. Um, you know, it kind of prepares your body for mobilization or action and parasympathetic is rest and digest. And the way that you, uh, or the balance, I guess, you, the, the tone of these things uh, is going to impact what your body does. So if you're, if you're in a high amount of sympathetic arousal from stress, from anxiety, from uh, light, from caffeine, from stimulants, your body literally can't digest food. So food's going to sit in your stomach. And that's usually what people are doing, right? People are in a, in a stressed out state, um, you know, maybe even just finish working out, man, you're a high amount of sympathetic arousal and people go shove food down their throat. It's the worst thing you can do. You have to take yourself into, into bringing up that parasympathetic nervous system, that parasympathetic stimulus um, before you eat and prepare your body for food. So for thousands of years, what do people do before they eat? They get together as a family or, or as a group. Um, you know, they, they talk, maybe they pray. And just that little bit of mindfulness brings them out of this high amount of sympathetic arousal into more of a, a parasympathetic state that prepares their body for food. You know, so if you're eating on a run, if you're stopping at a drive-thru, shoving something down a burger because you're in a rush, your body can't digest that food, man. So this is, again, the argument for, for people who are aspiring fitness athletes and bodybuilders. Like, it's not about what you eat. It's about what you absorb. So uh, if you're shoving food down just because, oh, I got to get my calories in for the day, but your body's not prepared to take it, well, guess what? You're driving up inflammation. You're you're predisposing yourself to intestinal permeability and leaky gut, thereby driving up inflammation even further, causing tremendous amount of GI distress. And again, like you said, Steve, GI distension. Well, you, you hear the, I'll let Trevor finish up, but you hear all this all the time about an anabolic window. You got to eat. My cousin is so funny. He told me this. He's like, you got to eat right after your workout. Within five minutes, you got to eat. Yeah, 37 your seconds. Muscles, your muscles are going to disappear. It's 37 like, seconds, like actually, man. What makes perfect sense because <laughs> right. 
Because now that's something I can tell people. I'd be like, you know what? Ben Polkowski said you're actually hurting yourself. You're not helping yourself by doing it. Well, that. so here's, here's, here's a, it's, it's always gradients, right? Like if you're training really, really hard, you're, the amount of sympathetic stress is much higher. If you're training, you know, very, very low level, which most people do, you know, obviously not to you know, throw anybody in the bus, but most people don't train hard. Most people think they train hard, but they don't. Um, so obviously maybe their body's a little bit more prepared to, um, to absorb food, but we all have had, or a lot of us have had, you know, those really hard workouts where you just don't want to eat after, or you like, you try to eat and you just no desire to put, to put the food down. That's just because your, your stomach is literally shut down. Your, your stomach doesn't want to digest food. Um, so taking, you know, five to seven minutes, you, I, I suggest everybody do a five minute meditation. Again, people don't like that word. Sometimes they're offended by it. Sit on your ass, close your eyes and do nothing. Put your phone away, do nothing, get in the sauna, something, you know, a cold shower, whatever it can be to, to kind of bring down your sympathetic nervous system increase your parasympathetic tone allow your body to be prepared for this food and you'll, you'll get much better gains i love what you said ben one thing that i do myself and i tell my clients is that after your workout stretch for 20 to 30 minutes and just that stretching yep. the parasympathetic it's also good to obviously stretch it increases flexibility and then it's not like oh i just finished a crazy set of leg press i'm going to try to eat this meal and throw right. up and kind of like <laughs> relax right like kick your heart rate down Man, I had a girl in the gym yesterday who finished a hard leg workout, went to Five Guys, came back and ate her burger at the gym. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, get that shit out of here. I mean, at that point, guys, if you're going to eat something, it's, you, that's why, I mean, I believe in shakes and, and you know, uh, essential amino acids and liquid carbohydrates at that point, because if your body is going to break down anything at that point, that is the best time to take in, you know, liquid calories, solid calories at that point are not going to do the job. So Ben, I got two listener questions for you I want to hit up and then we'll close the show. Um, one person sent me this video on YouTube. I'll try to find the email so I can forward it to you. And he took water out of his regular tap. He just turned on the tap, poured a glass of water and poured it on a pregnancy test and it tested positive. That's pretty freaking bad. So one issue we have is that our water is full of contaminants, full of chloride, full of fluorine. Do you know anything that will actually remove estrogens from the water? Um, so I recently had Dr. Anthony J on the podcast and he's a researcher from the Mayo Clinic talking about this stuff. And he says the best thing to use is just a basic charcoal filter, man. So I'll tell you, I, I've got kind of a system at home where I've got, um, something I use called the multi pure, which is, um, not a carbon filter, not a charcoal filter, but it's suggested to be the best one for removing pharmaceuticals. Uh, which is a big, big problem. Like people are dumping their pharmaceuticals in the toilet and then coming back into your, into your food. So there's, there's actually been shown to be tremendous amounts of just chemicals in your, in your water supply. So this one's suggested to be the best to remove uh, any type of pharmaceuticals, any type of bacteria. Uh, and then we go into, I also use Berkey, which is like a, a countertop, relatively cheap carbon filter. They also have a fluoride filter on there. Um, and I just, so after I filtered out all of the uh, pharmaceuticals, I'll throw it through the Berkey, which is a carbon filter. Now, there's a lot of levels to, to this like detoxification water thing, man. Like, you know, the reverse osmosis, there's like a five stage reverse osmosis filter. And again, it starts getting expensive, right? If you're putting on your whole house, you're looking at probably two to three grand, depending on what you do. Um, but again, man, that's so vital. Like even your shower, man, get it out. Like, you, you know, especially if you're using a hot shower, think of the absorption of your skin, man. Your skin absorbs extremely well. People don't realize how well your skin absorbs nutrients and chloride get the hell out get your kids out of chlorine pools man i'm like the anti-chlorine pool guy like don't subject your kids to that man seriously it's like it's terrible what we're doing to ourselves and then you wonder why your kids end up being screwed up and unhealthy well there's there's a lot of levels to it man so for me um 
because removing estrogens comes with the charcoal filter and the pharmaceuticals is with the multi-pure. That's the same reason I don't wear antiperspirant. Every oh, yeah, aluminum, man. For, forget yeah. it. You're giving yourself heavy metal poisoning. Yep. In, in, yep. in 20 years, those products will be illegal and we'll be looking back at it and be like, I can't believe we're selling those over the counter. And uh, you listen, we're, we're all in the reality and some people choose to not see it that industry drives the world. And unfortunately, like they're paying the bills. These big companies are you know, nobody wants them to shut down. Like the government doesn't want to lose that income from all the taxes guys are paying. The government doesn't want to lose maybe the kickbacks to get into the political campaigns. And it's just what it is, man. So the, it's up to the consumer to kind of vote with their dollar, man. You got to buy the things that are, uh, are healthy for you. And then you're just driving those companies to be bigger. You know, those companies who actually take action, change their ingredients and, and put things in that aren't going to kill you, man. I, you know, I have a podcast and I interview all these people, you know, that are, um, you know, people who are, pro-glyphosate and people that are anti-glyphosate and glyphosate is the number one pesticide being used right now. And uh, you hear both sides of the coin. I get it. I get why, why we do these things. Like it's, it's driving economy. You know, glyphosate is, uh, you know, it's the reason we're able to have such an abundance of food without it. People, you know, there'd be droughts of food. Like, would you want, like, think about what the repercussions of, of a lack of industry would, would cause, right? If we didn't have enough food to, for a week to supply the population of the U S and Canada, what would happen? We start fucking killing each other. So you have to start looking at like, hey, what's the pros and what's the cons of this? And I get it, but as someone who wants to be health conscious, like I don't want to be one of the guys at the bottom of the pile, man. I want to be one of the people who's leading the charge and, and, and is healthy and, and rigorous and vigorous. And I want to pay attention to those things. And not everyone has the means or the desire, and I get it. But, um, you know, awareness is key in order for us to change our, uh, our existence. Then well, if, it does, if, it, if it does start... Then I'm, I'm a chemical engineer, so I can tell you firsthand, just from an industry standpoint, we can make natural alternatives to glyphosates. It's just 500 times more expensive. So the only reason why companies like Monsanto are using Roundup glyphosates, things like that, is because it's cheap. We can make natural alternatives to them. It's just sure. But yeah, man, but it's all over the world, right? It's like so many companies or countries doing it now, and I, I guess money, money is everything, man. If it's going to cut down the, like, how much do you want to pay for your uh, lettuce? How much do you want to pay for your kale and your broccoli? Like if all of a sudden we woke up tomorrow and, you know, lettuce was $10 a bundle and broccoli was $10 a bundle and what would happen? People go crazy. I can't eat that. I can't, well, meat's going to be $30 a pound. Oh God, I can't do that. Well, guess what? Like it's, you can't have your cake and eat it too, man. I get it. Um, but the government's doing what it needs to do to, to keep people alive and keep the, it from being chaotic. I get it, man. But I love the idea of having awareness and doing what I can to change what I can change and giving people the opportunity and the knowledge to change their life. Can't change everybody, man. It's not gonna, we're not going to change the industry. We're not going to change the world yet. I mean, it's going to take 30 to 50 years before we can change it. But you know, people like yourself and myself are, can create awareness for people and lead the charge as to why we should, over time, lead in this direction. I think like having your own like vegetable garden, having your own fruit. It's everything, man you know, buying organic, everyone can, you know, you can do your best having a good water filter at home. Like you were saying, those are things that we can do as individuals to help and for our families. So, I mean, people listening to this, you really have to do that. You can't just listen to what the commercials say, you know, um, and, and buy whatever you see during sure. a hockey game or football game on TV and uh, buy, uh, you know, whatever they're trying to sell you because they're trying to sell you the shit. You yeah. know, no one advertises the good stuff. No one advertises organic lettuce. Well, I'll tell you what I've been, I've been diving into a little bit lately is something called covert influence. And it's very, very interesting. So something that like the CIA and, and special forces are very aware of. Um, so covert influence is something that exists in mainstream media where 
they intentionally subject you to stressful events with the news or with, you know, whatever the TV show is very, very dramatic, very stressful. So what's happening to your, you don't realize what's happening is your autonomic nervous system becomes very stressed. Your, your sympathetic arousal goes up. So your ability to use your cerebral cortex actually goes down. So, right. So as we're stressed, what happens? You become very primal. You start using your limbic brain. You start using the, the reptilian brain. Uh, you can't make rational decisions. You make impulsive decisions. So then they riddle that through with advertisements for things that are going to make you make impulsive buys. They're doing it intentionally. And that's just effed up, man. Like, this is why you just can't let your kids watch TV. Like, they're, they're just puppets, man. Like, the, the, the media is literally just manipulating so they can make money, so they can sell more advertising spots. They know what they're doing, and people aren't aware of it, man. They're stressing you out so you make impulsive buys. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I don't watch TV, but you're completely right. If you ever turn on CNN, it seems like World War Three is going to happen tomorrow. Uh, Right now. Yeah, it's actually happening in their backyard. We just, you know, there's, there's Taliban everywhere. There's people trying to kill you when you open your door. And you're like, and it just becomes our default, man. We walk around in fear. So what do you do in fear? We have to get rid of that fear because nobody wants to live there. So therefore, I should go get a Coke because sugar will make me feel better. Or I should smoke a cigarette because that'll make me feel better right now. Or I should eat something. It's driving industry, man. It's, it's, it's just this perpetual circle of... Uh, hey, man, we're going to make you feel shitty so that you go out and look for something outside of yourself to make you feel better. Uh, and if anyone wants to make a change, man, you, you turn those things off. You get rid of those negative outside stimuli, including toxic people in your life, including toxic food, and, and start sitting down on your ass and being by yourself. You know, turn the lights off, turn the sound off, be by yourself for five to ten minutes a day to start. You know, ideally, you progress up to being by yourself for an hour in complete silence. Turn the radio off. No, pe- no podcast, no book. Do nothing. Be by yourself. Be alone with your thoughts. And you'll see how much things, things start to change. Would you say, uh, really quick, Ben, would you say in your life you've had to basically uh, cut off people out of your life who've been negative influences? I mean, I know I, I have because we've had a lot of podcast guests who've yeah. been very successful who've said to do that, and I've been doing that myself, yeah. ridding myself of the cancer. Would you say you've done that to people who you've been lifelong friends with even? Is that something? Yeah, Man, I think the blessing and curse of who I am is uh, I'm a very selfless person who puts other people before me. And uh, I'm realizing now in my wisdom uh, is that's the, you know, it's a blessing because I'm, I'm a very caring, giving person. But at the same time, uh, you need to be ruthless with your time and with the people you surround yourself with. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm much more aware of saying no. That's one of the hardest things to do for everybody, right? Like, no, I can't do that. No, I don't have the time for that. No, unfortunately, I can't go there with you. Like um, creating some type of strategy on how to say no to people is very, very important, man. And yes, I've, I've definitely cut a lot of ties, man. And like, especially as a professional bodybuilder and get nothing against bodybuilders or the fitness industry. But, um, you know, every time I kind of revert back into that, it brings me back into that world, man. And if I want to progress, I can't go there. So, um, learning to kind of remove myself from, from that energy, that attitude, um, it's just, getting myself out and and finding people who are more in line with what I want to do energetically, what I want to do uh, in business in life and the impact, how I want to impact the world. Well, Ben, we really appreciate you in this podcast. I know you're very busy. You got three children, you got multiple successful businesses. Um, Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate it, Ben. Um, For a lot of our listeners, you guys, most of you are probably renting the water filter. He mentioned Berkey, very affordable. It's going to be right. Yep. That's actually the one I have because I'm renting, so I can't, you know, install like a reverse osmosis or anything. It's very, very effective, and that's actually what they use in missionary trips in Africa. So if you're looking for the best over-the-counter filter, get a Berkey. Anything like uh, Brita is just a waste of your money. Don't even, don't even spend the yeah. time. Yeah, there's one, uh, and I've never used it, but I've heard it's relatively good, called the Zero. Uh, apparently, it takes everything out of the water, so that's I, why I it calls you. 
I have yeah. that. It comes with a little tester. You can test yeah. the water. My water tests out at 250. When I use the zero water, it tests out at zero. So it takes, it takes what, what, what is that? Parts per million? Does it tell you what it's actually taking out though? Yes. Parts per million. Yeah. Interesting. So that, they live in a state where we have very shitty regulation. So that's yeah, it's really unfortunate, man. That like, I mean, I get the government can't do everything about it. And, and you wonder if there's some insidious reason why they put fluoride in there or in chlor- chlorine. You, may, you understand why, because if you didn't, we'd all have bacterial illnesses. But uh, it's unfortunate that we can't have better water, man. It can't really be that hard or that expensive to actually effectively filter water. You can test like bottled water companies with the thing I, I have, like you were saying, and the little thing, like the Sani and Aquafina, these bottle companies, it's the same thing as tap water. You're going to yeah. test over 200. It's the well, same shit. So do not test, do not trust bottled water unless you test it because the bottled water has the same shit in it. Yeah. And the, the reality is those are being transported in plastic. If that plastic gets warmed, you're getting xenoestrogens, right? And here's the thing that sucks too, is, is anything that all the, the city water, municipal water all travels through plastic pipe. It's called PEX pipe and it's all estrogenic. So, you know, we're literally castrating our, our subsequent generations. Here's a crazy thing, man. Um, if you consume estrogens now and you are your wife and, and you end up having kids, you actually pass those xenoestrogens onto them epigenetically. And so there's a lot of cross-generational expression of these, these negative effects of estrogen, which is just wacky, man. Like, and, and it's not, it's unavoidable. Like we're all using plastic. We're all being exposed to pesticides. Um, it's in the air. It's not even just in the water. It's in the air. So uh, it's, it's sucks, man. And, and it's really unfortunate that people are going to be born into this world with little of massive disadvantage because, uh, you know, of things that we consumed or our parents consumed. It's, it sucks. Ben, I actually just did a podcast on this. Did you know that the average testosterone levels of middle-aged men have declined 1% since the 1980s? Sure. If we were a species, we'd be on the endangered list. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, governments have actually tried to manipulate the the values, like the testing values, the testing ranges to, to show that. So, you know, if you look back to, to the early 1990s, testosterone ranges were between 700 and, and 1500 as far as nanograms per deciliter. And now they're, they've brought that down to where you're over, I think if you're over 12, 1100, I think is like the top end of the range, right? So they're just trying to fool everybody and bring, and bring the range values down. So, hey, if you're in high end of the range, you're healthy well what if it was 20 years ago i would have actually been closer to the low end of the range which is very fascinating to think about and you know for anybody trying to optimize hormones out there there's so many levels man it's such a complicated topic like don't you know just supplementing with with a hormone is is not always a good idea because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do what it's supposed to do in your body i agree with you 100 ben where can i just find out more about you um, as we sp- spoke about, I've got a podcast called the Muscle Expert Podcast, um, and it's nothing to do with muscle. We're going to be soon or be rebranding. It, I mean, it is to do with muscle. Muscle is obviously my thing, but it's also just kind of the stuff I talk about, right? It's how to live your greatest life and your greatest body and uh, all these these parts that go into it. So uh, Muscle Expert Podcast is one. I've also got uh, uh, MI40 Nation. So my business is MI40, which stands for Muscle Intelligence. Um, you know, Muscle Intelligence and all my programs have been based around 40-day programs. So MI40 Nation is a website. And BenPakulski.com is a great place to go. Obviously, Instagram and Facebook come there too. For all of our listeners, if you like our podcast, definitely check out Ben's podcast. A lot of the guests we've had on have also been on Ben's podcast. Guys like Dr. Benjamin Bickman, Danny Vega. A lot of the really episodes we've had have also been on Ben's podcast. Mm-hmm. For your host, Trevor Kritzen, for my co-host, Steve Smee, and for our special guest, IFBB Pro Ben Bukowski, this has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look good doing it. Thanks for listening.